0: Everybody, and welcome into the I Want to Know podcast. I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Today, I've got a fun show for you guys. We are going to uncover the truth about the JFK scandal who killed JFK, how many people were really there, and was there a magic bullet? But first, thank you guys for listening, for downloading. I'd like to say tuning in, but that's a little out of date. Thank you for the feedback on our previous episode with Franz Schindler. A lot of people like that apparently, so thank you. Keep the feedback coming. And give me a little feedback on this show if you enjoy it. Today's guest is James K. Lambert, the filmmaker behind Conspiracy Theorists Lie. It is a film all about divulging the truth behind the JFK assassination. James's point of view is that what the Warren Commission said is the truth. There are no crazy conspiracies, no aliens. Yes, we talked about aliens. And not only are the conspiracy theorists out there wrong, but they're actually detrimental to our American way of life. If after the interview you'd like to find out more about James, you can go to jamesklambert.com or find him on Twitter at jamesklambert. The movie can be found at nomagicbullets.org or you can just head over to the guests section on iwanttoknowshow.com where I will have everything there for you nice and easy including the trailers to the movie i thought before we talked to james i would play the audio from one of the trailers so you guys can get a little more insight as to what the film is really about and then we will talk to james like i said if you click on james's bio in the guest section you will find all the links you'll need including the link to this trailer
1: The day before President Kennedy arrived in Dallas, flyers began appearing on the streets, suggesting that this man was a communist sympathizer or a communist agent who was hell-bent on destroying the Constitution and the American way of life. The accusations were typical of the far right of the time. From organizations like the John Birch Society, who had even claimed that President Eisenhower was an ideological communist actively working for the Soviets. The morning of his arrival, a full-page ad appeared in the Dallas Morning News with similar charges against Mr. Kennedy. The president had come to Dallas in part to speak out against this hyperbolic, conspiratorial view of the world. He wanted to make it clear that such thinking had no legitimate place in American politics. Unfortunately, the popularity of hyperbolic conspiratorial thinking has only seemed to grow since the president's death. In a sad bit of irony, those who make the most noise about defending JFK's legacy are also the ones doing the most to perpetuate the type of paranoid nonsense he opposed.
0: Well, everybody, I'm being joined on Skype by James K. Lambert. He is the filmmaker behind the documentary Conspiracy Theorist Lie which you guys can check out at nomagicbullets.org. James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, I know we talked off there, but watched the movie, and uh, it was really good. Really enjoyed what you got to do, how you got to interact with some of the people who are, uh, uh, I guess, completely against how you think, (laughs) for lack of a better term. They were quite interesting. Um, Give us a little bit of kind of what the film's about. It's not your usual JFK conspiracy documentary.
1: Yeah, I mean, the film in some ways reflects my journey, starting out as a kid who believed in a bunch of conspiracy theory stuff. And then over time, I came to doubt it, and then came to really be against it and see conspiracy theories as a bad thing. And so I went down to Dealey Plaza at the 50th anniversary, and I confronted conspiracy theorists. I handed out these little booklets. They're like little come to Jesus booklets. <laughs> but but my message was that conspiracy theorists lie. And so my film describes the history of some of these lies, um, who popularized them, and why they are lies, and why you know what the real truth is, and then I go down to Dealey Plaza, and you see me interact with people who just repeat a lot of the th- the things that I've
0: already debunked in the film. And not only do they repeat a lot of things you've debunked, their reasonings are very often. You know, you you present them with a fact, um, and kind of no matter what you believe in, your fact is very much a fact. It's not an opinion. And they right. come back at you with, well, you know, that's that's BS because because
1: <laughs> it's BS. Yes, or or they grab onto something, you know, like, oh, you don't think the government lies? You know, they'll just grab at something that's well, obviously the government tells lies, but that doesn't make your wild story any more true. Right. And that's the, that's the logical connection that they just don't seem to get there.
0: Yeah, uh, you did a fantastic job of. I guess just staying calm while these people were, were yelling at you and telling you how insane that you were. Was that hard uh, to, to get through?
1: I, you know, I I tried to laugh it off, and I, I feel a little bit bad when I'm laughing at some of them <laughs> in, in the film, but it was easier to just, you know, like, this is kind of funny. And just I just took that attitude, and it helped me to not – Not buy into what they were doing. You know, they were they were getting riled up and it would be easy for me to get riled up But I just laughed it off instead
0: And and I think it kind of uh, helped you look more intelligent made your point look more valid by not getting crazy like they were getting Right. What was some of the the weirdest or craziest or most outlandish argument that some of these people had for you? um well
1: I I didn't run into the most outlandish stuff on the fiftieth anniversary. I had previously talked to people who believe in, you know, the whole aliens and Roswell, and you know that aliens are secretly giving us technology and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So it it was a little bit tame, tame down from there. But it was just it, it is it's the fact that people are utterly convinced about things that are simply not true. And I, I give the you know the example of why I called it no magic bullets is that people are so convinced that the Warren commission report talks about a magic bullet and a bullet that zigged and zagged and did all this stuff. And I had a guy you know, just straight out, tell me this is what the Warren commission said. And that's simply not true. This is something that was been made up by conspiracy theorists long after the Warren commission was done. The Warren commission said a simple straight shot, but these people have not actually looked at the Warren commission report. They've just read the conspiracy stuff. They've just seen the Oliver Stone film. They've, you know, they're, they're so immersed just in that one world that they, they believe they know exactly the facts and they don't.
0: Yeah. And it seemed like this conspiracy theory stuff around JFK, it, it didn't happen immediately after the Warren commission came out. It seemed like it happened a few years down the line. Did you do you kind of know when this started being such a big deal? Yeah,
1: it definitely grew in it it grew in momentum, I would say, particularly after Jim Garrison, who was the DA in New Orleans, brought charges against a, a businessman named Clay Shaw. And that's what um Oliver Stone dramatizes in his movie JFK, where he has um Kevin Costner playing Jim Garrison. And I think that That trial in the, I think it was 68 that actually went to trial, Mm -hmm. that trial really kind of popularized with a lot of people the idea that, oh, there must be something here if this district attorney is bringing charges against this man. There must be something that we don't know, something hidden. I think that really started to go after that.
0: So was he just as crazy as some of the conspiracy theorists or –
1: I mean there's there's competing opinions about him. Some people feel that he was crazy, uh but all everybody that I've talked to who I would consider a reasonable voice on history says that he was simply not an honest district attorney. He was more interested in getting his name out there to the public and moving up in higher offices than he was, you know, looking to promote justice. And so anything that was going to to get him national attention was, was good in his mind. Now, ultimately, you know, that's not the best way to go about trying to build a national career off of a lie, but, but that, I think that is the way he saw the world that, you know, this is my opportunity. If I can crack the Kennedy case, or at least, you know, if, if I can do something that makes the public feel like I'm this champion of truth, you know, then I can get elected governor and maybe president and who knows what.
0: It's so a little bit of the uh, no-bad-press, or no-press is bad-press kind of, you know.
1: Yeah, you know, and the thing is, bad he like, I, sh- I show you on the film where he, he went on Johnny Carson, he went on The Tonight Show to promote what he was doing. You know, what district attorney in any case in the United States goes on The Tonight Show to talk about what they're doing? And this is clearly a guy who's looking for bub- publicity.
0: Yeah, and in, in fact, you you would think that as a district attorney, you wouldn't want to uh, give out all your details or anything because you, you're trying to play that close to the vest. Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently not. You mentioned uh, when you were there not filming, when you were there prior, prior to that, uh, people talking about aliens and Roswell, and did they somehow have a connection with JFK or are you just referring to a bunch of crazy people? Um, well, there was a guy that
1: that I spent some time talking to back during the 40th anniversary year. I was actually going to school, to graduate school in Texas. And so I did a little film in graduate school at the time. And at the time, there was not only the sixth floor official museum, but there was a little conspiracy museum that was a couple blocks away. (laughs) And Ron Rice was the Well, he was called the assistant manager of the Conspiracy Museum, but I think really he was the main guy there. Uh, (laughs) But he he pretty much believed every single conspiracy theory you could – you could name. And this was in 2003 that I was talking to him and they were just starting to get, you know, rumors about nine 11 being a conspiracy and stuff at the time.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, so he, he touched on that. Um, but he really got into Roswell and he thought that there was an alien spacecraft that had crash landed in Roswell and that one of the aliens was still alive after the crash and that we were exchanging human DNA to the aliens to get technology from them. Wow. And so and he was convinced that, you know, that basically presidents are just pawns working for some, you know, puppet masters who pull the strings. And it wasn't clear if he thought that the aliens were the puppet masters or the puppet masters were in league with the aliens, but it was somewhere, you know, I mean, he he brought up the X-Files and it was very much you could tell that his kind of worldview was formed a lot by the X-Files. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mulder and Scully had a lot to do with his conspiracy theories yes, okay interesting um at, you mentioned nine eleven I want to get to that in a second uh back to the movie. I also am a filmmaker. I work in the in the entertainment industry. What were some of the more in, in uh challenging parts of mm-hmm. making this film i had I have a couple of specific questions I don't even know if you're allowed to talk about them, but uh, I know a lot of documentary stuff, especially with what you did, there's a lot of clearing footage and, and all sorts of things like that. Did you have a hard time clearing all this stuff?
1: Um, no, because I'm, I'm making a fair use argument on pretty much everything that I used in there. The only thing I paid for was to have a friend write me music for the film. But every, everything that I use in there, be it um, Jim Garrison on Johnny Carson or any of the other stuff... Because it is it is a part of the public record and it is making a political argument about the meaning of our history, then I feel that I have every right to show you here's what was said and here's why it was wrong. There are actually four criteria for what makes fair use. And I think that I, on pretty much all the footage, I can make an argument for each of the four criteria.
0: Interesting. Yeah. As I was watching, I was thinking, you know, as an independent filmmaker, this could get really expensive. But uh, that makes sense. It makes total sense. What was the most uh, challenging part of the film then?
1: The most challenging part was that when I went down there for the 50th anniversary, the weather was horrible. I've never had such a horrible day in Dallas before. You know, I mean, you you look at the footage of when Kennedy arrived in Dallas and it's beautiful in November. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty typical. When I was there for the 40th anniversary, it was still really nice. I think I was just maybe wearing a long sleeve shirt, but um no more than that. But I went down, you know, for the 50th and it was raining and it was just on the verge of like freezing temperatures at points mm. and, yeah, it was just the worst weather I've ever seen. And so they had the official ceremony that day. And then that broke up and immediately it started raining. And I just stood out there in the rain for like an hour waiting for to see if it would break. And it finally broke. And then they started letting people back into the plaza. But I unfortunately didn't get to talk to as many people as I wanted to. And didn't get as many interactions as I I wished I would have gotten. Because, you know, it all had to happen just... That one day, and you're just stuck with what, what you get.
0: Sure. What would you say the ratio of uh, people that were with your thinking to against your thinking were that were walking by as you're handing out these booklets?
1: Uh, I mean, the overwhelming number of people down there are for the conspiracy to one degree or another. A number of those people are actually attending conventions that they have conspiracy conventions every year That's a around. Thing. Yeah, that's the thing. They're actually <laughs> they're actually a couple of different competing conventions, you know, and so even within the conspiracy community you have like, well yeah, but we've got the real facts at our convention, you know, those other guys they're they're just posers.
0: So it's like a battle amongst conspiracy theories. <laughs> it is. Wow, that's hilarious. It's like uh you know, Comic Con not liking you know, San Diego Comic Con hates LA Comic Con or something exactly how insane they should all just get together and be crazies together um so you're saying that uh, everything in the warren commission is is how it went down um why did lee in your opinion why did lee harvey oswald want jfk dead
1: you know i don't know that he wanted jfk dead i think what he wanted was to be somebody all his life he you know he kind of felt like a nobody and he hadn't really amounted to anything and i think he was always looking to to be something i mean it's very few people in 1950s america who would defect to the soviet union and when he did try to defect he didn't he didn't technically defect in as far as the paperwork went but when he tried to defect um the soviets said we don't want you you know you just you're a nut <laughs> that's it yeah so and the uh, soviets so he he slashed his wrists at a in a Russian hotel, and they rushed him to a hospital and they said, "Look, okay, we'll let you stay. We'll give you this little factory job, you can be a Soviet you know citizen is you know you can live out your fantasy um but they basically just waited for him to get bored with it, and he finally got bored with it and came back home to america and he didn't have any big heroes welcome. He didn't have any big, you know, protesters against him when he came back. He thought there would be something big. You know, I just came back from the Soviet Union sure. and no, nobody cared. A couple of people from the FBI interviewed him, but nothing really happened. And even the FBI guys just put in their reports, you know, this guy's a nobody. You know, there's, there's nothing really here. And I think that he always wanted to be somebody – he ch- he took a shot at a right-wing um, John Birch Society member, this General Walker, and he shot him at his house. And it just barely, it, like, grazed the side of Walker's head. Hmm. And that was somebody that Oswald actually disliked and, you know, thought – I'll kill this horrible right winger and I'll go down in the history books. Um, But then he failed at that. And then along comes this opportunity just out of nowhere that he sees the president's parade route. It's going to come right by where he's working. And even that, I don't think that he was set in stone to do it until pretty much the night before the morning of, because he went out to visit his wife the night before and she had left him because he beat her, and
0: Makes sense. he went
1: out. Yeah, he went out there and said, "Please take me back. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a better guy. I've learned from this, you know." And she said, "No, I don't think you've changed yet. You know, maybe sometime in the future, but not yet." And he said, "No, you got to take me back tonight. You know, just beg at her." And she said, "No, I just, I haven't convinced you're changed. You can stay here tonight, but you know, we're not going to be together." The next morning, he got up, he took off his wedding ring, he took all the money out of his pocket, and he left it on the counter for her to find on her, like, um dresser. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I mean, that's pretty much somebody who's committed to, okay, I can't have my family back. I'm going to do something today, put it to
0: go down in the history books. And this was, you know, his one opportunity to do that. So it wasn't necessarily JFK. I mean, it, it could have been potentially anybody in that car or, or any of the secret servicemen walking along the route. He just needed to, to make a a scene essentially.
1: Yeah. And I think if anybody else had, had come, you know, through that past his work that was famous at all, he would have seized on the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Um, do you (laughs) think this is a a listener question? Do you think that the Kennedy family is cursed? (laughs) Uh,
1: if I was one to believe in curses, they certainly seem to be the family that has it. Uh.
0: <laughs> Leading candidates for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you had two, two brothers assassinated. You had one brother die in the war. You had one sister who um, underwent what was supposed to be a good scientific procedure at the time called lobotomy, and she, you know, <laughs> was in a vegetative state. You had the father um, have a, I think it was an aneurysm or a stroke, where mm-hmm. he he you know he went from being this powerful man, to to sitting in a chair only able to say the word no, when he found out that his son, the president, had been shot, all he could do was sit there and say no, no, and, you know, and you don't even know if he understood what had happened and if he was you know trying to express his his grief or if he was just no, I don't understand. Um, so, yeah, it just seemed like they all met horrible ends. Yeah.
0: And then one of them had to marry Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yes. Talk about cursed. And then uh, the, sun di- the sun dies in plane crash. You know, it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's been quite. Uh, I don't know if, if you or anybody listening is a wrestling fan. It sounds like the Von Erich family. If Anybody gets that reference. <laughs> um, probably not. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, simple question. Why did you make this film? Well, I
1: really have become convinced that the whole conspiracy theory mentality is doing harm to our society. And I think that the Kennedy conspiracy is the gateway drug into the conspiracy world. You know, most people will be like, oh, of course, the moon landing's real. Of course, 9-11 was a bunch of jihadis. It wasn't the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Holocaust is real. But then they'll be like, well, but maybe the JFK thing. And that may be... Starts some people down a road where all these other things start to become questioned over time and I've I've interacted with people who you know don't even believe the Holocaust happened that's like the final stage of once you you know that deep into the conspiracy
0: that's I mean that's insane I mean because the Holocaust and I know that these people exist but uh, there's a lot of proof that that was a thing. (laughs) Yep. Pictures, videos, uh, well, films, not videos. Uh, yeah. So essentially, JFK is, is the marijuana of uh, recreational <laughs> conspiracy drugs.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, it's, it's the one that most people have tried. They've either picked <laughs> up a book or they've, they've watched a movie, they've watched a special on TV, something that they're like, oh, I want to know, is this real or not?
0: Yeah. And I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, A, it was a president, so it's widely publicized. And, uh, you know, a crazy person like Lee Harvey Oswald, I mean, a- and the whole uh, Soviet thing at the time, I guess it's really easy to put those together and like, oh, there was definitely a conspiracy going on.
1: Yeah. There, I mean, there's so many things that, that perk people's interest. The fact that Oswald was then killed by another crazy guy, you know, that's that obviously raises questions and really called for a big investigation. Yeah. But there was a big investigation, a nine month investigation, and they they simply couldn't find any evidence of anybody besides Oswald who had, who had done anything in this, you know. There, there wasn't any other people who – nobody bought the gun, nobody transported the gun, nobody did anything for him. He did it all himself.
0: Um, speaking of the gateway drug then, what do you feel the uh, – the stat- or the status, but how do you feel 9-11? Is that really how it went down, how it was reported or – or is there a big conspiracy or any conspiracy with that? Uh,
1: I mean, no obviously no government report is ever one hundred percent accurate, just True. like no history is one hundred percent accurate. But yes, I believe that nineteen hijackers, you know, took over those planes, that they were under orders from Al Qaeda, from Osama bin Laden, mm-hmm. and they, they were very much attacking us for, you know, their View of what they should do as good Muslims. Um, so I think, it, yes, it's a conspiracy, but it's a conspiracy of an outside party that wanted to attack America. The idea that somebody like George Bush ordered this or, you know, the CIA or something like that, um, it's so impractical just the amount of people you would have to involve, but it also, um, it's not the way that our society functions. I know that, you know, we are capable of fighting wars and killing people and even sometimes doing horrible things. Mm-hmm. But we don't, American politicians don't have the kind of loyal following that like an Osama bin Laden has. They can't turn to somebody and say, I don't like that guy. You know, take him out back and shoot him. <laughs> sure, <laughs> You know, the Secret Service, if a president tells him that, is like, Uh, let's get you a psychiatrist, you know? (laughs) That's just, you don't have this cadre of loyal followers the way a Bin Laden or a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao or somebody, you know, who who has spent years cultivating, you know, a cadre of killers who will actually kill for them. And so it's a real distortion to try to apply those things to American presidents. You know, it's the Hollywood version of, what's happening in politics.
0: Yeah, and I know there was no Twitter at the time, but you would think at the very least if that many people needed to be involved that somebody would have heard about it, a wife, a someone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about if you wanted, you know, as the conspiracy theorists for 9-11 say, they think that this was controlled demolitions. I mean, that's a lot of demolitions that you'd have to set up. So who set them up? Who bought them? who transported them, who paid the bills for all this. Right there you're into at least hundreds of people involved. And you know, you still haven't gotten to then all the people you need to keep the other people silent. I mean you'd have to have a whole department of the government that's just, you know, it's like the one of those silly men in black movies, <laughs> you know, where you you'd have to have some people with, you know, these little scanners that wipe people's minds. Um, to keep something like that going.
0: Yeah. And I had uh, Marcus Allen on the show back in September and he's a conspiracy theorist about nine 11, one of the bigger ones. And he has quote unquote video proof that the planes, you know, didn't exist, that, that it was all Photoshop and after effects and, <laughs> and that, uh, you know, cause the wing kind of skips through a building or, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, talking to him was very interesting. I, I don't mind listening to other people's opinions. Um, but his whole thing that video was the reason that nine eleven never happened is hard to convince someone who works in video, and which I told him. I, you know, he, he tried to say that there was no background in one shot. I said, no, the camera's up at a, it's shooting up from a lower angle. He said, no, they've taken out the background. Well, okay, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and, the, you know, the same thing has happened with the Kennedy assassination, where at first nobody was allowed to see the Zapruder film because it was so violent. You know, nobody wanted to put that before the public. Right. And when it did, when it did finally leak out to the public in 1975, it was actually Geraldo Rivera played it on his program for the first time. And then people were like, well, obviously look at the the." the this film proves that Kennedy was shot from the front, you know, because why does his head go back into the left? And there are scientific explanations as to why it does. But now that those scientific explanations have come up, now you have people saying, well, really the Zapruder film was faked and was just, it was just made to, to set up this phony problem so that then they could debunk it. And, you know, it's like, it's like layers of an onion, you know, it just gets more and more complicated. And that's the great thing about being a conspiracy theorist is you can always just say, well, they lied about that. And, you know, and here's the deeper level. You can always just make up a deeper level.
0: Yeah. And it's easy just to always say, well, they lied. Right. And they never prove it. They just, Oh, well, they lied about that. Okay. Right. Um, (laughs) Let me ask you you know with nine eleven and and other conspiracies, do you have any plans in the works for other documentaries uh
1: I've thought about it, but i i'm not I'm not sure what I want to do next i I don't want to just be doing conspiracy stuff forever, but I've thought about doing something maybe more comprehensive and a, a big thing that i've I kind of allude to in this film and i I really think is important for people to understand is that the whole history of conspiracy theories this whole mentality that you know there's some puppet masters pulling the strings there's some evil other out there that you know us good people have to fight against <laughs> it it really goes back to jew hating if you if you yeah you look at the history of europe um back to the 12th century you get the first real conspiracy theories and they all center around the jews the first big conspiracy theory is that jews steal christian children usually boys murder them and then use the blood in the in the passover um, meal what yes it's called the blood libel and that first appeared in england in the 12th century and there are people who actually believed – and this is the 12th century when when travel was difficult. They believed that there was an international con, kind of convention of Jews who got together and decided what country they were going to you know, steal the Christian child from next. And so already – A lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> already you're starting to get those things. Um, and this was this became so popular in England that – This idea that the Jews were this evil force out to get us, us good people, that um, it was about, I think, about 60 years later, they banned all Jews from England. They kicked them all out. And that ban lasted for more than 350 years. Wow. And... As those Jews ran to other parts of Europe, of course, the other Europeans are like, well, why did the English kick you out? Clearly, there's something wrong with you. And it just led to more and more stories about how Jews run the banks and, you know, all these kinds of things. And, you know, when you when you look at Nazi Germany, people – I think today people kind of look at the Nazis as some – unexplained evil that just came out of nowhere but really they're the culmination of a thousand years of these lies being believed that the jews are this enemy in our midst and that we must finally do something about it i mean the nazis called the holocaust the final solution they they believed this was a long-standing problem a conspiracy against decent human beings and that we had to get rid of the conspirators that's why they perpetrated the holocaust and that's why i'm really frightened of this conspiracy mentality because it leads people to think that you know they know best and they're going to defend society from all these enemies that don't
0: exist wow i've never i've never heard the history on that that's uh I mean, that's something else. That's insane. That's crazy. It is insane, but
1: it's, you know, have you ever read 1984, George Orwell?
0: I have not. So in, it's okay. <laughs> in
1: in 1984, you know, it's the big, big brother is the head of the government and big brother is watching you to make sure that you're a good citizen. And if you do anything wrong, the secret police come and arrest you.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so, you know, it's pretty typical totalitarian state kind of thing, modeled much on the Nazis and the Soviets. You know, that's who Orwell was looking to as his model. Mm-hmm. But in this future, they've totally wiped out religion. They've totally wiped out a lot of things that we would, con- you know, we would think of as normal parts of society. You know, people no longer read Shakespeare or even know who Shakespeare is. They've, they've wiped out most of the culture. But, even in the society, of course, there are people who want to rebel, and so the government has a fake like rebellion book out there and and so that they can kind of figure out who the disloyal citizens are by you know putting this book on the underground sure. and the book The book is written by a man named Goldstein, and the enemy of society is goldsteinism that's <laughs> that's the big enemy in nineteen eighty four and I think Orwell was a very smart man very well educated and he realized he called it goldstein for a reason because even in a society where they had wiped out religion and people didn't really know what a Jew or a Christian was anymore they still had this kind of cultural knowledge from the past that there was these group of people that we we should fear and they had kind of funny sounding names like goldstein you know that these little kind of vestiges of of our past stupidity continue to haunt
0: us. And using the very stereotypical Jew name, you know, Goldstein. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Uh, One last thing I wanted to touch on is I was uh, creeping through your bio, and one of the things you mentioned uh, was that you you like to look into the past for solutions of today and tomorrow. Yes. Uh, Tell us a bit about what you mean by that.
1: Um, Well, another point from George Orwell's 1984 he says in that book that those who control the past control the present and therefore the future and what he means by that is if i can give you a good story of what the past is if i can tell you you know how your people were destined for greatness then you are more likely to do great things. Or if I can tell you how your people were always slaves and downtrodden, you're more likely to be a passive slave and be downtrodden. You know, whatever you can formulate as the past then continues to play out in the future. And I think that if we have a good understanding of the past, then we can have a better understanding of the problems that we face in the future. Uh, Mark Twain once said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so if you have a good sense of what happened before, you can have a pretty good sense of what's going to happen next. You know, like when somebody says that they're going to take over the country temporarily to save it in this time of crisis, you probably – have a good idea that's not a person to be trusted because most societies where somebody's taken over temporarily, it ends up being for the rest of their lives and they end up being horrible dictators. Um, And so if you can, we can learn from the past and that, and we can apply that to the future. And I think that's the only guide we have to the future is just how well we can interpret the lessons of what other people have experienced before us.
0: It's very interesting. One of the things you said, you were saying that if you tell of, uh, you know, depression and slavery and other horrible things, and that's kind of how it plays out. Do you think of uh, the way we talk about slavery amongst, you know, black people in America so much? Is that detrimental to the, you know, uh, ongoings of African-Americans? I think it's it's become
1: very complex as to the messages that all of us receive. I I think that we're starting to get more of the fact that, you know, America was not the achievement of white people, (laughs) That America is, uh, you know, that all people who, all people who have come to America from all parts of the world and all have made contributions to making America. And I think that story is starting to be told more and is a good thing. I do think sometimes, and I've, you know, I've, I teach classes about film and stuff, but I, I a lot of topics come up, and I've seen a lot of young people who seem to have this kind of distorted view, as if America was, you know, the the only society that had slaves. You know, they they seem to have this kind of distorted view that America's has this really bad and unique, uniquely bad history, mm-hmm. and you know, and and that kind of that bothers me and so I think from, from both ends of it I think a lot of a lot of you know white people are being made to feel like like they they did this horrible thing and that's unique in history and, it's, and it used to be that a lot of black people were being made to feel like your people were always slaves and that's all you can be and I think that's you know this changes as time goes on and Um, You know, that was a big thing. If you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, that he said, you know, he never had a single black role model in life because they just didn't exist in any of his, you know, public education textbooks. And now, now that's, that's very much changed. You know, now you, 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 you're constantly being reminded that there are people of all kinds of ancestries that made America great. And I think that's a, that's a really good thing.
0: That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. I'm glad we I'm glad we uh, uncovered that little bit. Very interesting. I th- and you know if you uh, go forth and in, in more documentaries, that would be something really interesting to uncover as well. You know, I never had thought of that, and and thought of how talking about that really you know could potentially keep you know whatever group it is, whether it's uh, you know slaveries among African Americans mm-hmm. or whatever, could really keep them down. You know, even going back to your Jew- Jewish reference, I mean, if you just sat there and uh, you know Jewish families passed along how horrible the Holocaust was day in and day out, and that was all the stories they told like that would probably be detrimental to their advancement in society yeah absolutely um
1: if they if you i mean obviously six million Jews were you know it's a horrible thing, but if you believe that you are only a victim and this is the way the world is only going to see us then that's not going to make a better future either. You know, you've got you've to hold out some hope for for humanity and trust that a new generation
0: can be different. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's deep. I like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining. This went places I didn't think it would go. Uh, but if you guys were interested in the interview, uh, check out conspiracy theorists lie you can get it at no you can watch trailers you can rent the film very cheap three dollars don't don't pass this up you can also get more about james at JamesKLambert.com or on twitter at james K. lambert um it was a really like i said it's a really good film i'm not just saying that because uh he's on the show and especially the last i guess third of the movie where he is in dallas was was pretty fantastic so james thank you so much for spending time with us tonight
1: Well, thank you for having me on. This was great.
0: Thanks once again to James for spending the time with us, for telling us all about his film, and getting a lot deeper in this interview than I thought we would. That's always a lot more fun for me when when interviews take a turn. Whether you agree with James or not, I enjoy his take on not only the subject of JFK and the assassination, but as well as his take on America and and the society we live in today. It's very interesting. If this sounds like a film you would enjoy, head on over to nomagicbullets.org. It is only $3. If you got yourself an Apple TV or something similar, throw it up on the big screen. Grab a couple of adult beverages and enjoy. So like I said, conspiracy theorist lie can be found at nomagicbullets.org. If you'd like to find out more about James himself, go to jamesklambert.com. You can also connect with James on Twitter, at jamesklambert. That easy. Tell him you heard him here. Tell him you enjoyed the interview. You know, he's a bit of a controversial guest before this interview was even posted. In fact, the night we recorded it, all I had to do was post that I was interviewing him, and it started a Twitter war with a... Uh, I guess you'd call conspiracy theorists about the whole JFK situation. It was quite funny. So, anyways, tweet them, let you know what you thought. Let me know what you thought, which you can do by hitting me up. You can find the show on Twitter at I Want To Know Show. We're on Facebook, Facebook.com slash I Want To Know Show. Of course, I Want To Know Show.com. You can find all that information. You can send an email, I Want To Know Pod at gmail.com. That's all I have for you tonight. On the next show, I am talking to Dr. Duana Welch, who is best described as a love doctor. She's extremely intelligent and brings a much-needed fresh take on relationship advice just in time for Valentine's Day. Huh, what a coincidence. Anyways, I think you guys will really enjoy that. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this. And on that note, good night, everybody.